All right, first Sunday of the year, you know, ready, we're ready to go. I think I just broke something on the table here. That's all right, we'll, we'll fix that later, we'll take care of it. Uh, it's great to see you. I uh, hope your New Year's resolutions are going great. I'm sure it's only, you know, the 7th, so I'm sure we're all perfect on those so far, right? We, we've, uh, we're batting a thousand. Oh, not, not a good reaction to that. I don't know. I don't know how we're doing. That's okay. Uh, no perfect people loud. So you came to the right place. So you're in good shape. Um, I'm really looking forward to the sermon series um, that, that we're starting today. Before I jump into that, I'm going to tell you why. Uh, before we jump into that, I just wanted to let you know that we raised $1,329.58 for our Advent offering uh, this Advent season, and that went to Rooms at the End for Moments of Hope and helped to provide uh, rooms for people to actually stay in that didn't have any place to uh, be inside for Christmas and provided food and clothing. And so I just wanted to let you guys know that. I don't think we had shared that update yet uh, and share that with you. So that's something we can celebrate, which is, uh, which is good stuff. I'm, uh, I'm looking to, forward to the sermon series because um, for, for me, it uh, was inspired by a book that I read several years ago based on the recommendation of a friend, and it kind of changed some very significant things in my perspective uh, when I think about my relationship with God. I'm excited to share it with you again, actually. So some of you may remember this. This is from six years ago. I preached the sermon series, and I'm, and I'm preaching it again. And I know some of you are thinking, hey, get some new material, buddy. Um, you know, come on, like start off, you know, the new year with something new. Uh, we're going to start off the new year with something old. And, and I know it might seem a little bit like Jim Gaffigan, you know, starting to use hot pocket jokes again or something like that. Um, but they're still hilarious. Hot pockets, you know, uh, it's still, it's still great. Caliente pockets. Um, the reason why I, I really, um, I really think this is an important series for us to go back through again as a church is because, uh, there are all times that we have felt distant from God in our relationship with him. And whether or not you're feeling that way right now, uh, maybe there's some uh, resolutions that you made uh, for the beginning of the year, specifically in your faith journey in which you want to spend more time in God's word and more time in communion, in his presence with him uh, to grow in your faith. Uh, and sometimes we kind of don't really achieve that the way we would like to because the way we think about our relationship with God is just simply wrong. And sometimes that's not necessarily due to a fault of our own. Uh, sometimes we just kind of get used to thinking ab about God in certain ways because of the ways that we've grown up, uh, maybe the way that uh, God has been talked about in our homes when we were kids, or maybe the churches that we went to, or maybe we just didn't go to church. And so we've kind of had to figure that out as we go on our way. And the, uh, the inspiration, I think I mentioned that the inspiration for this is a, a book that a friend of mine recommended to me, and the name of that book is With. It's written by Sky Jatani. Some of you may have read this from six years ago, um, and I highly recommend it to you. I think it's on Amazon. The paperback is on Amazon for $12 right now. You might be able to find it in your lo local library, uh, but I highly recommend it. Um, and here's the thing that I want us to consider with this series, and specifically today. Any emotional distance between us and God is self-imposed. And, and I, I don't know, if, if, you're not, if you've never felt distant from God, like I, don't, I can't relate to that because there's certainly times where I don't feel as close to God as I would like to. But one of the things that I need a regular reminder of is that when I don't feel close to him, that's on me, not him. You can uh, normally tell who or what someone is closely connected to. There are outward signs and clues that we give. If you're married, you wear a ring, generally speaking, um, unless, you know, you're cutting wood or something like that. You would take, take it off or you're playing volleyball. 
Uh, if you're dating, you're holding hands. If you're friends, you give it a handshake. And if you're guys, you might, you know, you're really close, you might get the, you know, one arm, you know, bro hug, you know, slap each other on the back. Uh, if you're meeting for the first time, you know, you don't really know somebody, you might shake their hand or try to fist bump or shake the hand while the other person, you make a turkey, you know, or something like that. For things we support, we might, we'll make a Facebook post about it or put a bumper sticker on our car, or maybe we'll wear a t-shirt. Um, not a whole lot of jerseys this morning. I see, I see like one or, one or two, so it's the football playoffs and uh, we're supporting maybe some of our teams that still have a chance. There are the much less external versions of this as well. Uh, maybe you've heard this before, show me your calendar, show me your bank account, and I'll tell you what you really love and really care about. You know, there's all kinds of different ways that we show connection and relationship with other people and with other things. Of course, over time, those things can change based on how well we feel our efforts in that relationship have been reciprocated. Uh, it happens with relationships all the time. It happens with our favorite teams or our favorite stores or restaurants. Sometimes, you know, we go to a place and we have a great experience. We go back again. It's not, not as good as it was the first time. There are a lot of reasons for that. Maybe we feel a little bit differently. Or maybe, you know, football playoffs come along and our team yet again is going to miss the playoffs. Not, I'm not going to name any names this morning. Um, uh, you know, some of you are like, oh, is my loyalty worth it? Uh, many of you have experienced friendships that kind of just naturally drift apart. You know, you're reaching out to the other person, but you kind of notice over time they're not reaching out to me. So you're like, oh, what if I just... What if I just don't shoot him a text or give him a call? Let's just see how long it takes and a couple months go by, a few more months go by. You're like, huh, all right. That's, that's not there anymore the way that I expected it to be. But what if the problem isn't always with everything else or everyone else? What if it has more to do with the way that we relate to the world around us? And we, we know a lot about ourselves um, these days, a lot more than we would really be concerned about uh, earlier along in, our, in humanity's existence because we have a lot of luxury time. And so we've probably taken some personality tests, even if, like it's a little Facebook thing, or you might even know your Myers-Briggs or your Enneagram number or, you know, those kinds of things. Um, but it hasn't necessarily helped us understand ourselves better or the way that we relate to the world better. And in some ways, I think it's just made us kind of more internally focused. Okay, I'll just say it. It's made us a little bit more selfish. We're more in tune with how we want other people to treat us and relate to us, but we miss out on, on the opportunity to understand how we should be relating to them. And this happens a lot when it comes to how we relate to God. For example, if God was on the hook for every expectation that we had for him, and collectively had for him, like humanity has for God, the world would have imploded long, a long time ago. And thankfully, that's not the case. I mean, it would just be like with my, with my kids. You know, uh, I've got three kids, and um, I love them dearly, but if I only did what they wanted me to do all the time, like, things would not go well for any of us. <laughs> uh, I'd be playing a lot of video games. Uh, I'd be playing a lot of basketball and volleyball. Uh, I'd be having a lot of dance parties. Uh, I'd be eating a lot of ice cream. Actually, this has sounded really good. Uh, I mean, I'm going to retract everything, every, everything I just said. Uh, but there's a, lot of things, there's a lot of things that they would miss out on in life if we didn't do the things that we needed to do as well with those. The reason we're able to enjoy those things is because, you know, I'm teaching them how to be respe respectful. I'm teaching them how to be responsible. I'm teaching them how life works 
There are a lot of things that matter, and one of my jobs is to help them learn how to navigate life by giving them a foundation for how to relate to God and the world around them. And we all need this, and we all need that reminder. How we relate to God determines how we experience him. Where things go sideways is when we're relating to him in a way he doesn't relate to us in, and in which he didn't create us to relate to him in. That's when the problem comes. And you know how a relationship can go sideways when you're not on the same page with someone. You know what I mean. If you've ever had to define the relationship with someone, you're like, oh, we're in a great place, <laughs> you know, for having to define the relationship. Or maybe sometimes, you know, you recognize that somebody else's, your idea of being friends with somebody else you discovered was their idea of just kind of taking advantage of your kindness and your generosity in their life. Um, maybe your presumption of what any other decent human being should do in a given situation has been shattered. You know, how could they possibly react that way? Maybe it was even a Christian at some point that treated you in a way that you did not expect could ever happen because well, how could you? Because this is who God is and this is how he works. Well, we don't all think about our relationship with God the right way. There are four main ways we relate to God religiously that determine how we experience him. And all four of these things are ways that he does not choose to relate to us in. But these are the four main categories that we find ourselves in as we relate to God in our relationship. The first one is this. This is life over God. I even have uh, this. I did not draw this, by the way. um, It's too good. I I would never have been able to uh, produce this. Um, uh, But that's the great thing about this book is that they're stick figure drawings and the first, the first main way that we relate to God as human beings is life over God. And when you hear that, you might think, oh, well, this is a whole separate category of people that wouldn't even show up into this room. We're talking about people who are atheists, and we're talking about people who are agnostic, um, which are just honest atheists. Um, and, uh, and, and that's true, but many Christians end up living a life over God as well. This could be described as believing that God exists, created the universe, he kind of created the clock, wound it, and kind of stepped back. Uh, we collectively maybe understand that as being deism. Uh, so many of our founding fathers were deists. Uh, life over God effectively cuts out the middleman and gives us a direct control over our lives. Listen, you could follow the principles and wisdom of the Bible. Like you could just kind of read through the Proverbs and say, that, that makes sense. I mean, that's, that's pretty intelligent. Like there's a lot of good business you know, acumen that can be found in the Bible, a lot of good, uh, you know, family advice that you could follow in the Bible and, and end up with a pretty decent life, live a relatively good and happy life and never once have a relationship with God. Like that, that would be completely unnecessary. And that's what happens in a life over God. And the problem is, the problem with this specifically is that when we think um, to alleviate our fears and needs and wants, we can do that by controlling our lives through religious principles and rules. Uh, we take on a burden that we were never meant to carry. So picking and choosing what wisdom to follow from the Bible and apply it in our life, trying to get a perfect life curated for ourselves, it builds in a level of anxiety to life that God never meant for us to experience because we weren't supposed to place all those things on, on our shoulders. It says, I'm responsible for every outcome that happens in my life, which puts us in experience of just kind of pushing God to the side and saying, you're not really a part of this. It's, it's on me, and I've got this, and I can control it. M- many of you have maybe been familiar with this because you've tried this before, and you recognize it doesn't quite go the way that you think. 
There's a flip side of the same coin, and this is the second way that most people tend to uh, fall in the second category that you know, people tend to fall into, and this is life under God. In this scenario, religion is a way of understanding and controlling otherwise unpredictable forces, and with a sense of control, people feel less afraid. A long time ago, there was a football player uh, on um, uh, Steelers, I think. Or no, no, it was a Bills uh, player. But anyway, uh, he sent out this tweet. There's a big game between the Bills and the, and the Steelers in 2010, and he uh, made this tweet, this post on, social, on social media, and uh, he dropped a game-winning pass in the end zone. All right. So this is, I mean, this is devastating stuff, right? Uh, many of you will face this experience this afternoon. Um, <laughs> after the, I'm, I didn't say any teams, any specific teams or anything. Um, <laughs> this is what he wrote after the game. Okay. This is what he wrote. This is to God. He says, I praise you 24 seven, three exclamation points. And this is how you do me. You expect me to learn from this? How? I'll never forget this ever. Life under God believes that if we live according to the divine rules, we'll escape undesired circumstances. Now, if you have figured this out, I would love to hear about it. That if you do everything perfectly in your life, you always get what you want. If you have unlocked that, you, like you need, uh, I don't know, you need a YouTube channel or something like that. Let's, let's figure out how to monetize this. Uh, it doesn't work that way. Following rituals and obeying commands, which do exist in the Bible, and we are called to follow, but as a means of controlling God for a desired outcome, that's not how it works. You see this in the Pharisees in the New Testament who believed their good fortune was evidence of God's blessing. They would look at you and say, if you're poor and if you're sick, they would say, well, obviously God's punishing you. Look at me, I'm rich. It has nothing to do with my dad's money or you, you know, the generational wealth that I get to enjoy or any of those kinds of things, but because God loves me more than you. That was kind of their mentality. In Matthew chapter 15, this is what Jesus says about them. He says, you hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. And that's the second way that many people relate to God. Here's the third category, life from God. Uh, there was a test by uh, a guy who uh, taught a class um, about, uh, about Jesus on the university level, and he had this 24-question test, and it was kind of a personality test. And he said, you know, are you an introvert? Are you an extrovert? Do you like cheese? Do you not? You know, whatever the questions were, it doesn't really matter. So go through and you answer all of these questions. Uh, the second one was a personality test. Same 24 questions, but answer them in the way that you imagine Jesus would. Okay? So 24 questions about yourself and your own personality. And then, and then imagine, you know, Jesus' personality. How would you answer those, those questions? Um, afterwards, they did a comparison analysis based on all of the students' responses for the class. And as you, as you might surmise, everybody thinks Jesus is just like them. Like that's, how, that's how they answered those questions. Uh, imagine what a world that would be. <laughs> uh, Voltaire makes this critique. He says, if God has made us in his image, we have returned him the favor. Uh, we, tend to, we tend to be a lot more comfortable when we make God in our image rather than consider ourselves being made in his. 
Uh, there's a sociologist from the University of North Carolina, Christian Smith. He spent years studying the religious lives of teenagers, and his conclusion was this. And many of those teenagers you know, that he was studying are now adults, raising teenagers. Most view God as a combination divine butler and cosmic therapist. Divine butler and cosmic therapist. Um, help me and give me what I want. That's, that's the way in which many people choose to relay, uh, re- relate to God. And those teenagers have their mom and dad to thank for modeling those beliefs for them. And the cycle continues. You know, we, we could categorize this as kind of like the, the health and wealth gospel. You know, like, oh, you just, you just believe you, uh, you send enough money and, and man, life is going to be good for you. You can get from God whatever you would like. That God is really just a means to an end. That if we honor him, he's supposed to honor the, us. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 11 through 14, this is addressed pretty head on. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. God wants to give us all good things. He tells us that in Scripture. But the relationship that we have with him is so much more about so much more than just those things. And we tend to just human beings just in general, especially Americans, we, we get caught up in just the material world and those being the things that are of great value that cause us to want to have a connection with God. Time and time again, people throughout history, there's a cycle that is ongoing. You can read this throughout the Old Testament. This is the ongoing cycle of the Old Testament. People pull away from God. God gives prosperity and peace, all good things, and people pull away from God because they start to care more about those things than they do about the relationship with him. But the things are not what we glory in. He is. The fourth category that most people fall into, uh, find themselves naturally falling into, is life for God. And this is my favorite one uh, because this is the best wrong one. Uh, Because this is the one that I find myself in most. And I have to remind myself that it's not about this. Life for God. It's my favorite on the four. Uh, Because on the surface, this is the most godly wrong one. If you read the Bible, I mean, look at all the things that God does for his people. Look at all the things that God has done for me, for you, for us. How could we not respond by living our lives for him? right? Are we convinced? Are we good? All right, let's close it and move on, right? That, that's got to be the best one. But it equally falls short of the way that God wants to relate to us. Um, so, for example, I, I don't know how you think about this, uh, but I know for me, when I mess up, when I sin, when I intentionally make a mistake and miss the mark from who God calls us uh, to be, um, uh, man, That, um, I just feel like garbage. And on the one hand, I think that makes sense. Even our righteousness, our good deeds, compared to who God is, are like filthy rags. You know, that's kind of how Paul uh, describes those things. But man, every time I'm like, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live my life for you. Like, I'm going gonna, 
I'm going to be a professional Christian, you know, so I'm going to be pretty good at it, right? No, that's, that's, that's just, it doesn't work that way. And so every time I screw up, which is more often than I cared, I hope you guys never find out how often. No, I'm, I'm, I'm just kidding. Um, more than happy to be transparent about those things with you. Um, it, it is, it's like, man, how, how can I possibly be making the same dumb mistake over and over in my life? Like, how, how terrible of a person can you possibly be that you cannot get this thing right? At this point in your life, you, sh- you should pretty much have some things figured out. I'm not saying that I'm the brightest tool in the shed. What is that? That's not even a saying, right? There's proof for you right there. Um, what does that even mean? I don't, I don't know. Shar- sharpest tool in the shed. Yeah, I know. That's in my notes. It was all intentional. Um, I just, I, I will think about this moment for the next three weeks, right? I mean, like, it's that kind of stuff where, where I'm thinking, how, how could you possibly, how could you possibly do this? Um, maybe your answer is similar to mine when you sin, especially with your habitual sin. You know, how is God thinking about me in this moment? How, how incredibly disappointed he must be in me. And we want to strive for righteousness. Be holy as I am holy. I mean, that, that's, that's what we're encouraged to do. We're, we're called to follow, follow the model of Christ and how he lived in, in our lives. Absolutely. But don't forget this truth, that in the midst of your sin, God still loves you. Because that is not how I feel every time that I sin. Jesus certainly calls us to be on mission. We're instructed to live life conspicuously as disciples of Jesus. There are... There are standards, you know, there are ways in which God has called us to live, absolutely. But we also need to be reminded that those are not the things that prove that our life is valuable to God. Because that's what I find myself caught up in. There's certain measurements, especially uh, in uh, someone in my industry, you know, that I want to see. And, and, and things that I would love to see happen for our church. And, and so much of that is because I want to prove that I'm good, God. That I'm doing all the things that you've called me, called me to do. But those are not the things that prove my worth and valuable to God. We don't have to prove the value of our life because God has already done that. That is the good news of the gospel. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul writes, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Again, here, he, he, even the best one, you know, life for God, doesn't quite capture the type of relationship that God describes in Scripture that Jesus models for us and that is talked about consistently through the, through the New Testament. And instead, there's a wholly different way from those four categories that most people find themselves falling into, and, and we get, kind of get in the rut and habitually. Um, but this is, this is the way that God desires to relate to humanity. It's life with God. Here's how it's different. Life under, over, from, and for God, each seeks to use God to achieve some other goal. 
God is seen as a means to an end. For example, life from God uses him to supply our material desires. Life over God uses him as the source of principles or laws. Life under God tries to manipulate God through obedience to secure blessings and avoid calamity. And life for God uses him and his mission to gain a sense of direction and purpose. But life with God is different because its goal is not to use God. The goal is God. He ceases to be a device we employ or a commodity we consume. Instead, God himself becomes the focus of our desire. Life with God is how the Bible begins and ends and describes everything in between. From Genesis to Revelation, what is God working toward? Being with us. It starts with a garden. It ends with a garden in a city where we are called to be in the direct presence of God. That's what he wants. He wants life with us. That's why he creates us, is to share a relationship with us, to be with us. This is why Jesus became the God-man, to live, die, and be raised again. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 22, all this took place to fulfill. We just celebrated Christmas. What the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God came to, be, came to us to be with us here through Jesus and continues to be with us here through the indwelling of his Holy Spirit. Jesus says, it's even better for you that I go and prepare a place for you because someone is coming that's going to be even better because you're going to be with God consistently. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Don't you know, Christian, that you or yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? Here are the final words of Jesus to his disciples. Um, he says uh, in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, as he's talking about mission and he's talking about here's what you do in the meantime, he comes to the disciples and says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And here's what he says. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. God's not a means to an end. He's the beginning and the end, and he's everything in between. And God's desire when it comes to our relationship with us is that we would be fully satisfied with him. Everything else goes away. There's nothing else in our lives, and yet we still have God with us. In a life with God, God is our treasure, the sole object of our desire. We're able to be united with him despite our sin through Christ's death and resurrection, and we can experience him now through his invitation to be in regular communion with him. Earlier, earlier I said, we kind of started off saying any emotional distance that we feel between us and God is just it's self-imposed, it's on us. Because sometimes we forget and we need to be reminded of how God wants to relate to us. He simply wants to be with us. And he wants us to want to be with him. That, that, is, that is the thing. Um, it is in communing with God that we discover that God has been with us all along. Just like any other relationship, um, if we don't have time with God scheduled out on our calendars, uh, if we don't devote our time and resources to that, uh, we'll start to feel distant from him. And so if you make any resolution, if you resolve to any other thing, I, I just want to suggest to you, encourage you, maybe even challenge you to spend more time with God. Um, that's what prayer is meant to be, by the way. 
you know, I, I don't know how often you pray or what your prayer life is like. I don't know what you tend to say. You know, is it kind of like, God, please do this and please do this. And uh, I've got my grocery list here, so God, do this. And I want this, and here's what I want. You know, it's like a Christmas list or grocery list. I, I don't know those kinds of things. Um, but I want to encourage you to, to spend time talking with him as, as in, in the context of him wanting to hear from you. And he wants to know what's going on in your life. Not as if he can't already know, but he wants you to care about talking to him about it. And all those things, the requests and that kind of stuff, there, there's nothing wrong, inherently wrong with those things. But if that's all it is in our prayer life, then we're kind of missing the point in God even allowing us to approach him on his throne. You know, that's, that's what Jesus does for us. That's why we pray in Jesus' name, because he's the mediator. He's the go-between. He's... Uh, the gift uh, that has brought grace so that we can even spend time with God. You, you know how it works with a friend. You know, you realize, oh, I haven't talked to them in like six months. Well, why, why not? Because, y- you know, you didn't reach out. Um, but, man, God is always reaching out to you. Like he, he's always responding. He's always sending messages. But if we're not paying attention to that, if we're not looking for those things, we'll miss it. Um, so we pray with Scripture. Uh, This is how we know the mind and heart of God and learn why he's more than enough for our needs. We pray with the church, um, and this is so important, with the church, not through the church. You don't need to go through me. You don't need to go through some other holy, you know, person to get to God. Like, he's already taken care of that. But, man, it's, it's in our community together that we start to see and experience and feel the type of communion that God desires to have with us. And we pray with the Holy Spirit, recognizing that, that God is here. It's not just about what we have to say, but it's also what he's communicating to us through his spirit. And so we give him time to get a word in edgewise. So many different ways that we can relate to God. Um, but there, there is one that makes all the difference, and that's life with God. Um, maybe, maybe you're a Christian and just need to be reminded of that. Maybe, uh, maybe you've never even heard those categories before, and you just needed to see that picture of how those things uh, can be so much more different in thinking about life with God. Uh, maybe you're not a Christian at all. Like maybe you've never said yes to Jesus, and, um, and you kind of have recognized how you've tried to live your life in those other ways, and it's just you, you know at this point it's just not working the way that you expected. God wants to be with you, um, and Jesus is the only way to make that happen. And so if that's you, if you're like, I, I, need, to, I need to say yes to a relationship with God, uh, we would love to talk to you about what that looks like. And so grabbing the lobby, shoot us an email, uh, go to velocitychurch.info and let us know because this is the type of place where you can come in and figure that out. Let's pray. God, um, we thank you for uh, caring enough about us to give us all the best of, of what a relationship looks like. Um, that when we are devoted to communion with you, we recognize that we find nothing lacking like we do in so many other relationships in life. God, thank you for fulfilling all those things for Jesus. Help us to uh, recognize and feel and sense your presence as we regularly commune with you in prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.